Hello and welcome to episode 60 of Tea or Books. I'm Rachel. I'm Simon. And today we are going to be discussing married versus unmarried characters, which do we prefer? And um, in the second half, we're going to be comparing two books with a similar theme, which are Miss Pettigrew Lives for the Day, for the Day, for a Day. For a Day. For a Day by Winifred Watson and Patricia Brent Spinster by Herbert Jenkins. Um, so, Simon, how are you? What's going on? Um, I'm good, thanks. I'm enjoying the nice weather we've got at the moment. Not yes. very much this weekend, which has been rather lovely. Um, although I am in the, in the, just, well, just past the middle of my attempt to read 25 books in 25 days. Which is very impressive, I have to say. Yeah, it's going, it's going well. It's, um, it's been quite fun. It's basically just meant that I read instead of, you know, browsing BuzzFeed or, I know, watching trash on TV or something. So it's not been particularly hard. I have picked short books. But, um, but yeah, it's been nice. And I have been walking around Oxford reading my book as I go around. So I can get a lot done walking to and from work while I was reading. Simon, how do you manage to do that without falling over? <laughs> um, long practice, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I used to do it when I used to walk home from school. Um, but, you know, I haven't done it in recent years. Walking down the street in London while reading a book, I feel, would be a little bit... Yeah, it depends which part of London you're in, that could be tricky. <laughs> yeah. Um, Oxford, it's okay, I think, just because it's the sort of thing people expect to see in Oxford. So they're well, I was say, yeah, I mean, of all the places, you have picked it well. Um, <laughs> so have there been any favourites so far amongst those 25? Yeah, so, I'm, so today's day 14, so I've done 14 so far, um, yeah. and my favourite so far is A Lost Lady by Willa Cather. Oh, I love that book. It's really, really good. So it's it's basically about um, a married woman from the perspective of one of the neighbouring men who's a bit younger than her, uh, and sort of her fall from grace in his eyes. But um, yeah, it's the second one I read. I read The Professor's House a long time ago, and, and I didn't have any strong feelings about it really whereas this i thought was yeah, really brilliant so um yeah looking forward to reading more and then yesterday i read turtle diary by russell hoban that i really liked that was about um it was alternated chapters between uh two fairly lonely middle-aged people who both come up with the idea that they want to rescue turtles from london zoo <laughs> and, sort of, and then collaborate on that yeah it sounds very twee but it's actually quite um moving and awkward and you know yes yeah, not it's not it's not sort of a happy ending because they rescue the turtles type of book oh interesting yeah and then when i'm not doing my those sorts of books i've sort of if i finish one early in the day and i don't want to start the next days yet i've been reading a graphic memoir about catherine mansfield and it's by sarah lang and half of it is about catherine mansfield's life and half of it is about sarah lang discovering catherine mansfield interesting yeah. have you do you read many or any graphic novels, graphic memoirs? Do you know, I don't think I've ever read a graphic novel. Hmm. It's just not something that's really my thing. My friend Barbara, who's a lovely lady, um, got it for my birthday, I think last year, uh, and she's in her 70s, and she, we always buy each other a, a book for, our, for each of us' birthday. And, and this time she, she always gets them from my Amazon wish list. And so that one arrived at her house for her to wrap it. And she sent me a text saying, I've not sent it because I wasn't sure whether or not there's a mistake because it's just got pictures in it. It's like, it's all right, Barbara. It's a graphic memoir. It's supposed to be like that. <laughs> so, yeah, I only like them if they, if I like the style of art they're in, which perhaps unsurprisingly. Um, and so the sort that look more like your traditional comic books or, you know, superhero comic book style doesn't really do it for me. But um, I really like this style. And my favourite graphic novelist is Brecht Evans, who does lovely watercolours in his sometimes quite disturbing books. 
Yeah. If you want to ever experiment with uh, um, graphic novels, that might be where I'd suggest starting. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'll give it a go. <laughs> um, what are you reading at the moment and how are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, you know, two weeks left to, to the finish line of the end of term. So oh, yeah. crawling along. Um, I'm sure many other teachers listening will understand my feelings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I've got a big day tomorrow. It's the uh, I'm directing the school play. Oh, what are they doing? Wendy and Peter Pan. Oh, nice. Yes, but it's uh, well, our rehearsal on Friday was not particularly good. Um, oh. I may have got angry, so we'll um, <laughs> we'll see how tomorrow goes. Are, um, you, are you very sort of you know stereotypical drama teacher asking these things? I very much am. Yeah, I'm good. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> but, you know, I do warn them in advance. They know how I get. <laughs> Can you so imagine? I'm like, guys, I'm sorry, but I'm getting angry now. Remember that they're children, Rachel. They're doing their best. They look, look at each other. No, but the thing is, it's when they're not doing their best. That's what <laughs> I'm going to say. We've been doing this play since February, Simon. They should know their lines by now. They should. That is a fairly important yeah. part of being exactly. in a play. So I feel like I was justifiably upset. So, um, you know, I wasn't nasty. I just said, you know. I can I just, sort of see you during the performance just walking down and being like, no, no, I, I can see I'm <laughs> going to have to play Peter Pan. <laughs> whipping out a costume you've had on you the entire time. Bemused <laughs> <laughs> parents. It's going to be great. It's okay, guys. I'm the understudy for every part. So <laughs> I'm <down>. on. <laughs> I'll show you how it really should be done. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's going to be exciting tomorrow. Um, but otherwise, they're not up to a lot. I've mm. just been enjoying the sunshine. Reading um, anything good? Well, I'm reading... Um, I've allowed myself a break from my dissertation, i.e. I haven't done anything about <laughs> my dissertation, um, until I break up from school. So until then, I'm allowed to read books that I want to read. So I'm, I'm halfway through Cry the Beloved Country by Alan Payton, Patton, mm. um, which I have to teach next year. So um, that's really good so far. It's about, for people who don't know, it's um, about pre-apartheid South Africa. It's very good. Very okay. new. Yeah, really nice. Uh, really beautifully written and very evocative. Um, and then I'm also reading at the same time um, Dear Mrs. Bird by A.G. Pierce, which... I've read lots of good reviews about it, and Darlene mm. really recommended it, and I really enjoyed the first few chapters, and I even emailed Darlene and was like, Darlene, I'm loving this book, it's so much fun. And actually, now I'm just past the halfway point, I'm not enjoying it at all. Oh, what happened? Well, do you know what? Initially, it, it's written in this very twee, um, jolly hockey stick style, which for the first few chapters was quite endearing, and now I'm just finding it lazy writing, and like, the the World War Two it's set during World War Two and the research that the author has done is you know very much skimming the surface oh. and it's like basically every cliche about World War Two after the other and I can see exactly what's going to happen like in the chapter I just read they mentioned that they're going to the Cafe de Paris for the evening I'm like well I know exactly what's going to happen they're going to get caught up in the Cafe de Paris bomb aren't they and then I skip forward a couple of pages I was like yep they do so everything <laughs> happens happens and it's all just a little bit too it's kind of like chick lit but it wasn't um it wasn't marketed as that so um. I if I'd known that going in I wouldn't have bought it but um I mean, the cover's beautiful by my favourite artist, actually. But um, mm. it's just, yeah, it's just kind of like, I find it a bit depressing that books, like this could have been a really interesting book about a woman trying to have a career during World War II, and instead it's just a kind of fluffy, frothy, 
thing that's clearly been designed straight for a, a film starring that girl off uh, Downton Abbey who's in everything. <laughs> um, well, that's a shame. But yeah. yes. It's one of those, because I had read a, a couple reviews or at least like Twitter reviews possibly. I think they're very short. But um, yes, as, as usual, I'd rather read a book written at the time about yeah. that period, particularly about that period when there were so many. Um, yeah. Well, I know exactly. Well, I've learned, I've uh, learned my mistake there. But, um, you know, it was, it's not a bad book. Like, it's fine if you just want to switch off your brain and just enjoy yourself. And I did enjoy the first few chapters, but the writing style has, has started to grate on me. I think because I do know a lot about World War II, mm. um, cause I've had to research it for other things. I've, I'm just finding it quite kind of like, literally, she read a couple of articles on the, on the internet and now she's written a book about it. So. <laughs> That's how it feels. I mean, I, I'm sorry if you're listening, uh, AJ Pierce, and are thinking you did weeks and months of research on this, but it's just, it's a little bit too, um, twee for me. Not a shame. Yeah. Well, yeah. at least quite a lot of countries going well. I was at once in, um, Richard Booth's bookshop in Hay and someone was saying to the, the person they were with, Oh, I really want to get Cry the Beloved Country or my, my beloved country or whatever it is. Um, and, it was right in front of my eye line when they when they said that, so I so I picked it up and gave it to them. I thought I worked there, and it was all very confusing for everyone. Fine. Then. <laughs> but I like to unite people in books. Well, don't we all? Yeah. And it's a it's a very very good book. Though at the moment I have no idea how I'm going to teach it, but I'm hoping inspiration will come. I'm sure it will. Yes. Um, on to topic one, which is yeah. sort of inspired by the books we're covering later, but so we won't talk too much about them in the first half. But um, Talking about books with married main characters and books with unmarried main characters, which covers, I guess, all books. All the books. We're going to cover every single book. <laughs> uh, well, my first thought when I was thinking about unmarried characters is that there are different categories of unmarried um, character and each person. So you either have people who have never been married, people who are widowed, or people who are divorced. Um, and those are all quite different types of books. Yes. So then I went off into, <laughs> into resumes. But I'll come to you first. What, what, um, <laughs> what, Rachel what, and Simon talk generic categories. Generic categories. <laughs> if I call it a taxonomy, it sounds like I've done loads of research. Yeah. So. <laughs> I see through you, Simon. <laughs> well, let's go for married first, because that might be simpler. When you think of... Um, a, a book with a married couple or married couple in a book. Are there any particular ones that come to mind or a particular type of book that comes to mind first? Um, I think if if you were to ask me that question, the first book that would come to mind for me would be Greenery Street by mm-hmm. um, Dennis McCall, which is a Persephone book um, for people who haven't read it. Um, it's a lovely book about um, a couple in the first days of and you know weeks in the first year really I think of marriage, mm-hmm. and it's quite unique I think in exploring marriage in such a lovely light-hearted way I mean obviously it's set during the 1920s 30s um and it's all very much you know upper middle class they live yeah. in Chelsea there's not really any problems as such but you it's it's quite interesting to see from the perspective of adjusting to somebody else and adjusting to living with someone and and building your lives around each other and learning to compromise and especially um Felicity, she's the character, isn't she? Mm. Um, you know, her 
having to to be at home all day and all her job she doesn't have children yet so her job is just to make sure that she's ordered lunch and she's made dinner on time um and deals with her one servant and it's kind of boring for her and unexpectedly boring and kind of just negotiating what married life is and and how to manage roles and it's very much a lovely book celebrating how nice it is to be married and how um just a kind of all the good things about being together with somebody else and that first sort of flush of joy and love in a new relationship. And it's very upbeat and lovely. And I mean, not being married myself and having no immediate desires to be so, um, it is, it is quite a good advertisement for marriage. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It is the book I always think of when I try to think of happy marriages and books. Um, because more often it, the ma- marriage, in a book seems to be I the novels seem to either be about the marriage about to break up or yes. or, or you know the diary of Rachel lady one fine day Shelley Jackson's domestic books those sorts of worlds of where it's all about being a wife and mother and it's either about how it's a bit of a drudge or it's about you know just day-to-day life is not really the focus of the novel so um yeah I was thinking um Things like Rebecca will show you the beginning of a marriage in quite a different way <laughs> uh, to Green yes. Street. Um, I think an interesting sort of segueing from the unmarried to the married section. Um, but the sort that I I think I'm most drawn to here it, it are the sort of um, marriages that have been going on a long time and aren't really the focus of the person's um Journey, I don't know. I guess, yeah, the, the sort of Drivenshaw Lady or Hostages to Fortune by Elizabeth Cambridge, where it's, it's slightly unsatisfactory, but it's not in crisis. I find those sorts of novels really interesting. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting where the marriage has sort of become a background. Yeah, that's life. exactly it, yeah. Very yeah. much something that's just taken for granted it's there, and it, it's not actually at the forefront of the plot because it's not at the forefront of the character's mind. It's just, it's like, you know, the, the dressing gown that you put on to go to and have a shower every morning. You just, yeah. it's, it's just unthought about. Um, and I think that's what makes Greenery Street such an interesting novel because it is all about a marriage um, and you kind of see it from both of their perspectives as well. You're not just looking at the female perspective, which is what I think a lot of books, certainly of the period that we're most interested in, it is very much a female perspective on relationships that you see. Um, though there is the kind of interesting, I just brought to mind, um, They Knew Mr. Knight by Dorothy Whipple, which mm. is the story of a marriage breaking down. They potentially coming back together again. Um, and you do see it from both sides as well, actually. Hmm. Um, and that's interesting to see a kind of, I suppose, why a marriage breaks down and how easily a marriage can break down um, when one person is, is not keeping their eye on the ball, I suppose. Um, but I think a lot of the time, married characters, the, yeah, the book isn't, the book either isn't about their marriage or it's about their marriage not being satisfactory. And I find it, it's quite interesting that novelists don't seem to think that writing about a happy marriage is interesting yeah and it's been quite a few episodes i think since you mentioned gilead by marilyn oh, robinson yes. so i feel like we're entitled to bring it back onto, yeah. <laughs> onto the podcast now um the, or the gilead trilogy going to be quadrology or whatever <laughs> the four-part yeah. series is called at some point which is exciting um but yes all of them oh no only gilead first person isn't it from mm. from uh, john ames perspective but that's sort of the analysis of a neighbourhood, but also a marriage which is not in crisis. There are other things that are in crisis, but um, 
a really thoughtful look at uh, investigation of a marriage, and particularly Lila, a really interesting look at how the marriage came to be. Um, I have not read Mr. Bridge or Mrs. Bridge by Evan Connell. I have, have yeah, you? that's Is, very good. And those, I assume, are they sort of complementary perspectives on a marriage? Uh, not complimentary, no. Oh, uh, complimentary with an E rather than with an I. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, they are. And um, But, yeah, they're very interesting to see. Um, what makes them kind of quite interesting and moving, actually, I, I believe that I've from memory, because I read these when I was at university, um, which is so many years ago, I dread to even say, <laughs> um, Mrs. Bridge is written from the perspective after her husband's died. Oh, okay. um, uh, or partly, I don't know if the whole thing is, I'm very willing to be corrected because I'm, my memory is hazy, but it's, it's very interesting in, in her seeing now all of the things that she didn't appreciate in her husband and, um, they didn't, she was quite a difficult wife. Mm. Okay. He was the more placid of the pair. Um, and she made his life quite difficult and it's only after he dies that she realizes how kind of I suppose how would I describe it she wasn't cruel to him but she you know she didn't allow him to be himself and she was a nag and all those sorts of things and it's only after he's gone does she realize and that's the sort of bittersweet element of it um and they're yeah they're really interesting books actually um and I I really like the fact that the author does it from both the male and the female perspectives Mm. and he does it really well, actually. Like the the female voice is very believable, even though he is a man. And another American novel that does marriage really well, um, in a more complimentary way, I feel, is one of my favourite books, which is um, Wallace Stegner's Crossing to Safety. Oh, which we talked about earlier in the year. Yeah. yeah, and that's a wonderful depiction of marriage and friendship over a longer period of time. But the focus is on the marriage of the two, um, two of of two pairs of married couples and. Um, I think that's a really beautiful book in its realism mm. uh, and looking at the difficulties of life and as also as you age and how you, as you change and maybe things don't go to plan. I mean, one of the, one of the wives is, is ill. She gets polio and, and is disabled. So that obviously impacts on their relationship and the things that they can do together and the plans that they had for their lives. And I find, I find that really powerful. One of the traits or tropes, I guess, that a Milne returns to surprisingly often is the accidental bigamy <laughs> storyline. Um, at least, yes, at least three times. <laughs> um, particularly in the novel, well, the play which was then turned into a novel, Mr. Pym, well, the play with Mr. Pym passes by, the novel was then Mr. Pym, and then in fact republished as Mr. Pym passes by, just to make things more confusing. But, um, it's one, one of the things where a couple who have fallen into a bit of a routine, um, discover that in fact, they may not be legally married because yes, the woman may already have been married. Um, the outcry from that, and it's a wonderful novel which has actually just been reprinted, I think. So, um, recommend reading that. But it's yeah, <laughs> I don't know why I brought that up other than because it's not really it's not a huge classification of accidental bigamy novels. But <laughs> if anyone has any recommendations, apparently that's my thing. So, um, let's turn to some unmarried uh, characters. I th- and. I mean, as I say, there are various different categories. Perhaps we should focus on the sort of never be married. Mm. If that, you know, if you're not, if you're going to narrow novel. down a bit. And I love a spinster novel, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Lolly Willows, Silver Tans Water by Silver Tans and Water that we did a while ago on the podcast, and The Love Child by Edith Olivier that we did with particularly spinster novels from the twenties and thirties when there were was this inverted commas two million surplus women and it, mm. and, it, and it spawned all sorts of novels about that experience, um, happy or more often not happy. Uh, yeah, I found it I find it fascinating that because it was a time when the idea that the you know one of the daughters of a family would would stay unmarried to look after the parents was was no longer as fashionable as it had been, um, but also the men were not there for all, everyone to marry. So mm. this sort of clash of you know flappers and freedom and all sorts alongside not freedom and, and restricted options and yeah, um, a rich seam of potential literature there. Yeah, I mean I really enjoy a spinster novel too, and. Um... Certainly for me, I think the most quintessential spinster novel that has me in floods of tears when I read it is F.M. Mayer's The Rector's Daughter, which mm. is just so heartbreaking and beautiful, but heartbreaking. Um, and there are also many wonderful books um, that are from the Edwardian period and, and slightly later, looking at that experience of, of the younger girl who's waiting to get married or is still mm-hmm. there's still the potential to get married and the real anxiety around what will you do if that moment doesn't happen and the restricted opportunities available to them and and that real sense of failure and desperation that makes me so glad that I was not for <laughs> men. But um I'm thinking of um Alas Poor Lady by Rachel Ferguson yeah. and Consequences, E. M. Delafield um, Thank Heaven Fasting as well by Ian Delafield. Um, some really, really good books that explore that experience. And then you've got that, also the sort of the FM Mayer and, um, I'm trying to think who else wrote novels like. May Sinclair did, uh, Life yeah. and Death of Harriet Free and that's sort of similar. Yeah. And yeah. The Odd Women by George Gissing, looking at, you know, if those women, so if you do get to your 30s and, you know, it's game over pretty much, goodness. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what you, that's what your life is going to become. You're a dependent on a male relative or you're having to eke out a living. Um, you know, another wonderful, Jane Austen is wonderful at doing spinsters. If you think about Miss Bates in Emma, for example. Um, yeah. And, and Austen obviously has the other, group of the unmarried women who will end the novel by being married mm. um and that's you don't get that many of the sort of i don't know sitcom um novels which end with marriage anymore and this yeah the ones where that is the end of the story i think have quite rightly fallen out of favor but mm. um but up back in the day <laughs> some oh. wonderful novels came out, came out of it um and i guess you know there's a lot of coming of age novels like you know i captured the castle or something where mm. Not necessarily looking for marriage, but looking for for love and for an escape from childhood is yeah um, centre stage. There's um, um you know Rosamund Lehman who we talked about before. Yeah. Um, Invitation to the Waltz is wonderful for that. Frost in May and uh, that whole um, it's a uh, is it there four or three of the. Um, I went to a talk about this the other day. <laughs> you know, I, th- I think there's four. I think potentially there is four. Um, there's quite a gap between the first one yes. and the others. So. so Antonia White's ones. Um, just trying to think of other really kind of well-known ones that I've read and enjoyed. Um, just looking at my bookshelf. <laughs> um, well, your mention of Ian Delafield does make me think there's a good 
So there is an interesting comparison between thank heaven fasting that I think is set in the late Victorian period, but is about mm-hmm. you know this mother and daughter where the mother's desperate to marry off the daughter, and then the way things are, which is um, a novel of an unsatisfactory marriage and, and the wife who at least thinks about having an affair. It's quite like brief encounter in many ways that novel. Yes. Um, and I mean, yes, thank heaven fasting isn't very much not suggesting that marriage is actually the route to happiness. It's just thing that has to happen because mm. the, you know the lesser of two evils is for her to marry this this man that she doesn't particularly love at the end spoilers <laughs> you can sort of see it coming the whole time though um so yes i don't know quite what that says about ian delafield's actual <laughs> marriage for, yeah. given she didn't give particularly happy uh, representations of marriage in her in her fiction but um but it, yeah it is interesting how you know when you come to the end of a jane austen novel even if it's a couple who the reader particularly the reader today, might think isn't actually that great a couple, like, you know, Marianne and Colonel Brandon or Fanny and Edmund, you know, don't seem actually that ideal as couples. It's still the happy ending. It's still, you know, the conclusion that we've all waited for the novel to come to. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, moving on, you know, a century, suddenly all those sorts of things are being questioned. And there aren't really that many books where, other than, you know, the light romances of the period, I guess, where, where, the marriage is seen as definitely the happy answer for everyone. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, and if thinking about which books you would prefer to read, if you had a choice, would you prefer to read about a marriage or would you prefer to read about someone's experience of not being married? Um, I think probably the people's experience of not being married partly because it has so many of those finster books I love. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Partly um, because I think it does include maybe a wider range of of interesting books of either, you know, the Jane Austen sort or the unhappy sort, or, you know, we haven't talked about, there are many novels about people who are very happily not married and living very happy single lives, uh, increasingly so perhaps. Um, But yeah, I think it, Perhaps because the the really interesting or indeed really happy book about marriage has perhaps not been as explored. I don't know. Um, I'd if there were as many but happy books about marriage as Greening Street to complement the unhappy ones, then I might have got be more tempted to go there. But I think there's a nicer range of unmarried characters, particularly in the period that I'm most interested in reading about. How about you? Yeah, I would say I'm the same. Really, I think um, you know, being unmarried myself as well. Um, mm. I find it really interesting reading about these experiences and I find it interesting from a historical perspective to think about those women's lives. I don't think really the experience of being married married has changed much over the years. Um, whereas I think the experience of being single while being similar in some ways, I think um, that kind of 1920s, 30s Edwardian period is really interesting in looking at what life was like for women. And mm-hmm. I think that the fact that we've got these novels that are a vessel of this of this real history is is wonderful and I think more people should read them. I think I'm surprised that a lot of these books like um The Rector's Daughter, for example, aren't classics. They should be studied. <laughs> well, you have your chance to impress it on a new generation. <laughs> well, I shall be. <laughs> Great. Hi, Simon here. I'm just going to jump into the middle of the episode with a few notices, like we're at, like an old timey church service. 
this is just to say a few things one of which is the episode of the c to z of movies that i did with my brother colin is actually now live it wasn't last week you can find that by looking for c to z of movies on your podcast app or online that's c space to space z of movies we talk about our favorite films beginning with s amongst other things uh, you can also support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash t or books where there are various rewards including a book a month through your door many thanks to everyone who does particular thanks to randy elizabeth and gracie um can't remember if we thanked karen for coming up with the topic for this episode we possibly did lots but if not thank you very much karen for suggesting these two books together uh, you can see all the books and authors that are mentioned at stuckinabook.com and you can also visit Rachel's blog at booksnob.wordpress.com. And now on to the second half. Thanks. Right, in the second half, we're looking at the 1938, I think, novel Miss Pettigrew's For a Day and the 1918 novel Patricia Brent Spinster. Um, I'm going to introduce Patricia Brent Spinster to give a little while longer whilst you can still think well of it. Because <laughs> <laughs> Rachel has about saved her opinion of it to me already. If that's all right for you, if you're happy to introduce Miss Pettigrew's For a Day. Um, yes, so it's been a while since I read it, but go ahead. Okay. So Patricia Brent is, as the title suggests, a spinster, but she is only, in fact, I think 24. Yes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) She's horrified that they think she might be 27. um, They being the old ladies who live in the boarding house with her, and one or two old men. Um, And they're very pitying of her and her singleness, so she decides to make up uh, a fiancé. Um, and says so she's going to go and have, din- and have dinner with him, intending just to go out for the evening and then, you know, come back to all their questions. But what she does not realise is that they follow her, and so she has to, like, plump herself down next to a friendly-looking gentleman and says, please pretend to be my fiancé for a bit, which he does. Um, and then one thing leads to another, and they fall in love. <laughs> um, I think it's... Uh, well, no, I won't say everything yet. There's the plot. We'll talk about it later. Can you do Miss Pettigrew's for a day, please? <laughs> Yes, I can. Um, So, Miss Pettigrew is about um, a, she's like a governess, and she is down on her luck. She's in her 30s. Um, She is struggling to make ends meet. She's got fired from a previous job, um, and she's, you know, desperation stations. And then this day she gets sent on this job, and she accidentally gets sent to the wrong address, and she finds it's really glamorous. Um, does she do for, is she like a singer or something? She, yeah, um, she sings in a bar, does she? Yeah, mm. so this really glamorous, flighty, beautiful woman called Miss LaFosse, um, who was advertised for a sort of an assistant or something, and so she assumes that that's what Miss Pettigrew's come for, and, and Miss Pettigrew can't get a word in edgeways to explain that there's been some kind of a mistake. So she ends up drawn into the world of, of, Miss, of, I can't remember her first name. Oh, no, she's always Miss, well, she's often Miss LaFosse, isn't she? I'm sure she has um, a first name. <laughs> yeah, and like she ends up going to all these places with her and getting new clothes, and she sees a whole different way of life. And Oh, Delicia, uh, sorry, Karen. Delicia LaFosse, it's Delicia LaFosse. <laughs> Actually called Sarah Grubb, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's just a day where she basically gets to live a different life, and um, it's wonderful. It is wonderful. Yeah. Um, so you've just read Patricia Brent Spencer for the first time. Um, um, I read it uh, four years ago, I think, but Miss Pettigrew's for a day I did read, I've read several times, but I read it 
oh, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe for the first time. I think it was one of the first Persephone's I read. And yeah, it is. Um, I mean, it's always described as a Cinderella story, and that's exactly what it is. You've got mm. this this woman who really is down and out, and though it's quite a, in many ways, it's quite a frothy, fun story, there is that undercurrent of she actually is, you know, desperately poor and in need. Um, yeah. Whereas Patricia Brent is... She has a job. She works as the secretary for an MP. Yeah. Who is, is on the up and up. He's, he's married someone who is very ambitious for him to sort of better his life. She's come from, uh, fairly, um, low back or, you know, working class background is trying yeah. to shake, shake off her father, um, who is really, really lovely. I love him. <laughs> but, um, and so yeah, she's not desperately poor, but she's but she is quite lonely and a bit annoyed with her where her life is going. Um, I will. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of putting off the moment when I have to hear why you don't like it. But um, <laughs> I, if I, I, well, one of the things I love most in comedy is when people get into trouble because of the lies they've told. <laughs> so I've already loved it because of that. And I found this book completely delightful. I, I loved so many of the characters. In it, the the man whose name I can't remember was it John, <laughs> probably <laughs> Peter, <laughs> um, Peter Bowen uh, does rather slightly unconvincingly falls in love with her more or less on sight, despite her being more fairly rude to him at different times. He's got a wonderfully funny and slightly pushy sister called Lady Tan. He, this yes, this this MP's wife's father who is um, very jolly and friendly as well, and I just I find it very impressive when people write characters that I fall in love with so much and I basically loved everyone in this except for the catty old woman that we're supposed to not like. Rachel, why didn't you like it? <laughs> Where do I begin? Um, was it too delightful? Is that the problem? Was it too good? No. Not the problem. <laughs> um, do you know what? I just found it incredibly unrealistic and incredibly annoying. Um, I don't normally mind books like, you know, fair enough, people fall in love at first sight, whatever, I can accept that. But the fact is, Patricia is so ridiculous. She's like, oh, this, so she just so happens to sit with this, you know, lord who's attractive and handsome and is really nice to her uh, when she's in a pickle. Uh, and then the rest of, like, for most of the rest of the book, she just tries to reject him constantly, <laughs> um, which is just absurd. I'm like, <laughs> he's rich. He's handsome. <laughs> He's nice. What's your problem? Um, like seriously, what's your problem? And it's, well, she, I, yeah, she's sort of. I, I guess she like doesn't want him to. Well, at first she's a bit worried that he thinks that she's unladylike or something and he's taking advantage of her maybe he never thinks that she's never got any evidence to think that he no. is definitely nice he sends her loads of he flowers he's lovely he's great he's lovely he like continue like, if someone had rung me five times and i told them to you know go away five times i wouldn't be getting in a taxi and coming over to see them but he just keeps turning up he's like a bad penny you know he and she <laughs> every time she she's like oh you know this is outrageous you're so embarrassing you're embarrassing me i'm like, for goodness sake woman what's wrong with you and then <laughs> It's just, it's just absurd. And then you've got this, you know, the ridiculous character of Mr. Triggs or whatever his name is, who is just like the most painfully politically incorrect working class character. Like, eat bag of love constantly coming along. Are you, then, he, do you not love him? No, no, it's, it's so ridiculous. nice. I'm cockney, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and 
then these other characters who are all secretly in love with each other. I mean, it was just absurd. I just thought this is a ridiculously absurd, poorly written book. And also, I'm sorry that I just, I'm, as I was getting so angry as I was reading it and the constant asides from the author mentioning how uh, women are unreasonable, women are, un- are irrational, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, Patricia Brent is unreasonable. Patricia Brent is irrational. And that's why she's a completely unrealistic woman. <laughs> I will say that I've never been more surprised by you, by you not liking a book that I recommended because it seemed I thought you'd love it. No, it it, it is. I will completely. I should completely. have liked it. I should have liked it. But I I think I do like books as long as I they are consistently ridiculous. <laughs> if they, they, I, I can completely get on board with it, like I not a moment of this is realistic, and that's fine. It's like for me, I just like sure the whole thing's absurd, but it's a good, like a delightful journey I'm going on. I mean, the whole of Miss right. Pettigrew is absurd, really. Yeah, but I actually like the characters, whereas Patricia I don't like. I don't like her as a character. I really like Lord Peter. I was like, I'll bloody marry him if you're not there. <laughs> I mean, this is absurd. Yeah, she she certainly had very few reasons for putting him up other than yeah. sustaining the novel. But um... quite frankly, I'm surprised anyone wanted to marry her by the end. <laughs> that annoying. <laughs> what about Lady Tan? Do you like her? No. What? <laughs> How do you None not like them. her? None of them. She's so great. Well, I feel I should talk about it more rather than just hanging up. But, um, <laughs> um, oh, I really want other people to read it now. Who just, well, in fact, I can't remember who recommended it, but it was quite, you know, lots of people were in the blogosphere reading it uh, a few years ago, and I did um, read buy it because of that. And I, th- I believe Thomas at Hogglestock compared it to Miss Hargraves, which obviously <laughs> was all I needed. So well, you know, I'm very it. sorry, Simon, because, you know, on paper I should have loved it. But, I mean, it's just utter trashy nonsense, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and it was the it was the inherent sexism that really got me. The, well, the con- Sorry, const- Constant asides about how ridiculous women are and, you know, woman-like. She, she didn't know how she really felt. She couldn't, like, the phrase woman-like is constantly, like, she didn't know how to explain her feelings and things like this. I'm like, women aren't stupid. Why do you keep saying things like this? Really got me angry. I do feel very um, obtuse, and I don't remember that ever happening. But well, I, perhaps, w- you know, if you're not attu- think... maybe you don't find it offensive or not attu- Well, I certainly would find it offensive. I hadn't noticed it, but, and I certainly don't want to come across uh, suggesting that I wouldn't. But, um, but apparently I have some sort of male blindness to it. Well, you know, certainly Herbert Jenkins does, so... Um, then I googled him, and I was like, oh, he, uh, he died a bachelor. I was like, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Goodness me! Um, I need to read it for a third time to see if I can spot this, but I can only imagine I'd love it still more. Well, Uh, you know what? I'm glad that somebody enjoys it. And I have to say, actually, if anyone listening, I do have a very nice 1919 dust jacketed edition that I don't just want to give to the charity shop because I don't think anyone's going to buy it. So if anyone does want to read it after what I've said, uh, please do let, let me know and um, I'll send it to you. In the yeah. UK, please, I'm not made of money. <laughs> um, and how can they get in touch with you, Rachel? Um, they can email me at booksnob at hotmail.co.uk. I think that's my email address. Double check on my blog. I'm not very good at that. I, <laughs> I think never I apply to email. Yeah. But do do that, someone, because you'll love it. Yeah. Maybe. I hope. <laughs> um, Miss, okay, Miss Hedicule is for a day. It's got cocaine in it, somewhat surprisingly. Yes. <laughs> I remember when I was reading it the first time, thinking, oh, Persephone books. I, well, I, I hadn't read that many books in the period, because I was maybe 18 or 19 when I read it. Um, 
And I was quite surprised when cocaine popped up, as though I'd imagined it had been invented in you know, <laughs> 2001 or something. But, um, but yes, it does have... Um, it does have that sort of thread of, I don't know if realism is the right word, because it is no, not a realistic novel, but um, it does have more awareness of of the darker side of life, I guess, if, if cocaine is, is part of that. But, but, you know, poverty and loneliness and that sort of thing does appear in amongst, you know, the buying new clothes and falling in love and all that sort of thing. Mm. Well, I mean, I think that Miss Pettigrew is the sort of book that is kind of... The sort of thing that you read when you feel need to feel better about the world and yourself. And it's kind of one of those stories where it is ridiculous, but at the same time, slightly believable. Um, I mean, it could be so. I mean, it's the kind of like ridiculous thing that you sometimes hear about people saying, well, you know, you never guess what happened to me today. Like, you know, they turn up for a job interview and someone mistakes them for someone else. And then, you know, I do understand what it's like when you get to a certain point when actually you're not actually given an opportunity to explain yourself. Well, it's like on, when the BBC had that guy on to talk about... Yes, like, exactly. Can't remember we supposed to talk about when he was actually the taxi driver. People thought that he was some, yeah, like some professional in something. And it happens to people. And um, I think, actually, a lot of the time, the absurd things you read about in books... I mean, real life, what's that What's that saying? Life is more... Truth is stranger than fiction. Yes, exactly. Yes. Truth is stranger than fiction. And it's true. And... I think that Miss Pettigrew is, the way that she's written, you feel like this is exactly the sort of thing that would happen to you. And actually her, her gentle sort of flowering over the book, over the course of the book, and her, her, gen, her very gradual development of her confidence and her enjoyment in her surroundings, you know, because she does start off very uncertain. Um, it's just wonderful. And, and even though, you know, it only takes place over the course of a day and there's no real closure to the plot as such, you you feel like when you finish, you know, she's been given a fresh start and a push in a different direction. Her life was terrible at the beginning. And even though it's only been a day, it goes to show how little it takes for you to have a completely different outlook on your life. And I just find it a really wonderful message. I mean, I found it a wonderful message when I read it, when I was of a similar age as when you read it. I don't think perhaps maybe I'd have the same response to Patricia Brent Spinster now if I read it. <laughs> I don't dare to. Have you not read it since since then? No, I don't think I have. Um, no, I haven't. I think I gave it to my mum to read and she really liked it. So. And it does have lovely illustrations in the Persephone edition yes. from the original edition, which are apparently by Mary Thompson, whoever she is. Oh. Uh, um, very sort of... You know, unsurprisingly 1930s-esque and it does have the, I think it helps to see the fashions and things it helped characterise the characters um, a very sort of dowdy governess dress that Miss Pettigrew starts off with and then yeah what she turns into later um, <laughs> I just I just read a caption of one that just says all lipsticks legs and lust <laughs> <Okay. laughs> uh, did you watch the film? I did and I loved it Yes, I thought it was good as well. I thought it it took you know a few liberties and it made it more about the war than I think it was originally. Well, indeed, because it was published before the war, so um, they they introduced the Second World War at the end. But um, but generally, I thought yeah, it 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 conveyed the tone very well, and and Francis Ford and Amy Adams are always good value. So. Yeah. Um, would you watch a film with Patricia Brent Spinster? No, there is one, isn't there? Is there? Yes, there's a 1919 um, 
film. So. I don't. I've I've googled and I think it's you could probably go and ask the BFI to show it to you if you really wanted to see it. Mm. Um, but I can't imagine it would be that good. Um, <laughs> Was it silent? Yes, I would imagine so, yeah, because it's 1919. But no, I don't think I would be interested in watching a film of Patricia Brent Spinster unless they radically changed the the plot. Um, I just just found her behaviour so ridiculous. I mean, I'm sorry, but, you know, no. (laughs) Oh, I would love to see this perhaps done now rather than this particular version because I don't know if a silent one would be great. There only seems to be six people in the cast, so... Um, one of whom is playing Miss Wangle, who I don't think appears in the book. But... Oh, she does. Yeah, she's called Miss Wangle. I've forgotten that. Um, anyway, Ina Bowment played Patricia Brent, whoever she might be. I'm sure some some historical film buff would be able to tell us. Um, have you read anything else by Winifred Watson? I don't think I have. No, I think her books are quite difficult to get hold of, are they not? They are. I do have Fell Top, which I've not read. I don't know I've not read anything else by her, but they're, apparently all the rest of them are rural novels, and I have, have a reluctance to read any more rural novels after my page and a half of Mary Webb. But, um, <laughs> and, you know, once one has read Cold Comfort Farm, it's very hard to read the sorts of books it was satirising. Yes, Whereas I, I have listened to um, another Herbert Jenkins, which was... I can't remember what it was called now, but it was um, a detective novel. No, it wasn't. So it was a mystery sort of novel, I guess. Um, this guy who just... Oh, he thought this was unrealistic. It's, it's a guy who just turns up and turns out to be the doppelganger of someone who's gone missing. The Return of Archie or something like that. Um, which, I mean, yes, it makes much less sense than this book <laughs> in terms of probability. But was also delightful <laughs> and indeed I have I think all his books but I've not read any of them any of the other ones yet wow. um, he famous, his most famous one in as much as any of them were famous was Bindle, he did a whole series of Mr and Mrs Bindle um, I can just I, imagine what that's like I think he's a Cockney Barrowman oh my goodness <laughs> so I will save those for a special occasion <laughs> um well, yes. How, how we don't, we've not, we've not talked a huge amount about these, but, um, perhaps, perhaps it's time to shorten them to a close nonetheless. Unless, is there anything else, you, is there anything you liked about Patricia Rensmith? No. Nothing. No. Did you ever, ever find it funny? No. <laughs> no, I just found it intensely irritating. From start to finish, and I read it suffering for you. Well, thank so you for making it to the fun. end. Um, deep down, I'm grateful below the hurt. <laughs> um, well, okay. To your book's decision time, I think I know which one you're going to pick. <laughs> Shockingly. Um, I am going to go with Miss Pettigrew, yeah. And I'm going to go for Patricia Brand. I, it's one of my favourite books. So, uh, I, I love both these books. I think Miss Pettigrew is also wonderful. But um, I just think Patricia Brand is... Un- unusually delightful in a way that I very seldom come across in books. It's very rare for us to be totally not on the same page, actually. This 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 far apart on this sort of book, yeah, yeah. very unusual. And I'm quite glad we've done it for that reason. It is, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, and I'm intrigued to know what other people make of it. Um, I don't know if there's an ebook available or anything, but, um, but there are there are a few secondhand copies around. It's not in print anymore. 
And, you know, um, don't forget my one if you want it. Yes, do you get in touch? Um, I want it out of my house, of course. <laughs> Before she burns it somewhere. <laughs> um, particularly if you're a woman, you can tell me whether or not you also found it hor- horrifically offensive to women. Because if it is, I feel extremely bad about not noticing that. Uh, sorry, women. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, 98% of people listen to this podcast. So. <laughs> sorry. sorry. <laughs> um in the next episode, we will hopefully be in firmer agreement when we talk about uh, Remarkable Creatures by Tracy Chevalier and um, The French Lieutenant's Woman by John Fowles, which Rachel has persuaded me I will love and I'm going to read, even though it's a thousand pages long. It's not a thousand pages, it's ridiculous. It's like <laughs> 90-something. And you're going to love it. Well, we'll see. I almost want to not love it now, just to, you know, no, don't get, you, to get you yeah. back from not loving this one. Don't but. say that just to spite me, I don't know. <laughs> um, and the connection there is sort of Victoriana, I guess. So My favourite thing. Of course. Victoriana yeah. and science. What's not to love? I mean, literally <laughs> not, all my favourite things. Not thing. my favourite things, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and I've not read either of those books yet. So, um, well, you've read both, haven't you? So you can I just have. Take, a, take a fortnight off. Well, you know, I am busily writing my dissertation on Charlotte Bronte and religion. So, you know. Fair enough, yes. Whereas I'm just idling my way, my life around reading books. And so I will read those. You didn't um, really so, get your PhD, so, you know. That's true, yes. You've suffered already. <laughs> I'm just late to the party. Yeah, well, when you start doing your PhD, I don't know what we get to. That's never going to happen. <laughs> Um, but I will say that we may have a slightly longer break for the next episode, depending on how fast I can get through two fairly long books, but I will do my best. <laughs> we will see you soon. Thank and you for we'll listening. See you then. Yeah. Bye. Bye.